Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the infant medical director of TIPQC. One of the things that we like to do on this podcast is to focus on the various programs in Tennessee that help improve care for mothers and babies in our state. If you're listening from Tennessee, we want you to be aware of the organizations that you can use for your or your patient's benefit. If you're listening from another state or country, maybe this will give you an idea about something that can be done to improve care where you live. Today's conversation is an important one. It's definitely one for providers, but it is also for mothers-to-be is it involves one of the systems in our state that helps track birth defects and also helps identify what might be causing them. As the infant medical director of TIPQC and as a neonatologist, this is really important to me because a birth defect is something that I have to deal with quite frequently. We are going to explore birth defects today and learn what is being done in this area to make sure pregnancies in Tennessee are as healthy as possible. We're fortunate to have two guests today. Let me introduce him to you. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is happy to welcome our guest from Tennessee's Birth Defect Surveillance System, or as we're going to be referring to this today, 10 Bids. So I want to introduce Kate Lolly to you. She is a program director for 10 Bids. Kate, you want to say hello to our audience? Hey, everybody. And our second guest is Erin Hodson. She is the epidemiologist. Say hey, Erin. Hi, so happy to be here. Now, some people may not know what an epidemiologist is, so let me explain that to everybody real quick. An epidemiologist is the number cruncher. Aaron is like that person who works with numbers, who helps us determine exactly what is going on around the state. So thanks, both of you, for joining us today. And, you know, this is a question that I always like to either begin with or end with just to get us going and get our conversation started. And I thought I would go ahead and start the conversation with this today because your team has a really important message, I think. So I want you to imagine like this great, big, gigantic billboard on I-65, I-40, I-24, wherever you want to put it in the state. And every day, like thousands and thousands of people are driving by and you've got the opportunity to put this message up on a billboard that you want to get out. So people either understand what you're doing or maybe it's just a a good message that everybody needs to hear. What would you say? Hey, why don't you take that? Sure. Yeah, we would try to keep it really simple and we would say, don't worry about birth defects when you're pregnant learn more before you become pregnant. And the significance of this is that we really want to drive home the message for people to not only plan their pregnancies, but for both partners to become as healthy as possible before becoming pregnant. And doing this can really assist with having the healthiest pregnancy possible. Wow, I absolutely love that. That's actually a really pretty important message. So uh, tell us about what 10BIDS actually 
does. I don't think a lot of people have heard of Ten Bids before, but y'all are one of like the little silent giants in the background, like helping uh, helping moms and babies in Tennessee and making sure we have healthy pregnancies. So, what do you exactly do? Well, thanks. So, we are a legislatively mandated program that is housed within the Department of Health. And we are a statewide surveillance system. We are responsible for not only identifying birth defects cases in Tennessee, but also reporting on these data we're finding in the trends. Also, in addition to that, we're responsible for informing our partners and also the public about this birth defects data and potential risk factors that you mentioned earlier. Also providing guidance on current prevention efforts that are already happening within TDH and also improving providing families of children with birth defects about information on the public services that are available in Tennessee. So in addition to all of these mandates, we're actually in year two right now of a five-year cooperative agreement with the CDC for enhanced surveillance. And we believe that this will help us to continue to meet and also exceed with those requirements. So we have a lot of listeners from other states. Yay, other states and <laughs> and some other countries too. I think like last time we looked like 57 other countries like tune in and listen to our podcast. So do other states have a programs like this, other countries that you're aware of? Yeah, that's a great question. Yes. So we don't have a national birth defect surveillance system, but mostly all states in the United States have some form of a birth defect surveillance system. One thing to keep in mind is that there's a lot of variety within the kinds of systems that are out there. So there are things that there's systems that will go out and collect information. And then there's also systems that will kind of wait for information to come in from various sources. There's also variations on whether programs verify data or whether they just kind of take the data as is. So yes, there are a lot of programs out there, but there's also a lot of a lot of heterogeneity within those programs in the United States. And then as far as the broader world internationally, yes, there are definitely programs that are out there internationally for birth defect surveillance. And that's one of the things I know CDC wants us to do with our cooperative agreement is eventually to be working and partnering with kind of this international platforms that exist for birth defect surveillance and really trying to leverage what we're finding within this cooperative agreement. Wow, that's absolutely awesome. So you've mentioned the word birth defect already. Mm -hmm. And I know what a birth defect is, and probably there's a number of people in our audience that know what a birth defect is, but there may be some people listening too who are like, okay, when I hear a birth defect, this is my mental image of what it is, but birth defects range. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to our audience and then tell us exactly how you're defining a birth defect? Sure. Yeah, they absolutely do range. You're right. Uh, so when we talk about a birth defect, we're talking about changes that can affect almost any part of the body and also alter how the body looks or functions. And like we said, some of these changes can be very mild and some of them can be quite severe. And with that, life expectancy may vary depending on how severe the birth defect is and also where it's affecting the body. And these birth defects can be identified uh, before birth, at birth, or even after birth. So give us uh, maybe a couple examples of, of a birth defect, some, some terms that maybe our audience might have heard before. Sure. Yeah, some of the, the birth defects that we have in our registry, what is anencephaly? Another more common one is cleft palate. Those are, that's something that's very visible that someone could see quite easily. We also uh, have 
critical congenital heart defects like tetralogy of Fallot. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. I apologize. You said that perfectly. Perfect. So that's just kind of an example of the range that we collect in our registry. There's 47 altogether, and Aaron will explain all of that. So from something that physically you might see to maybe something that you don't see, something internal. So Kate, I appreciate you answering these first questions for us. And I'm going to turn to Aaron, our number cruncher, to answer the, the next few questions. Aaron, you're the one that keeps up with all this data. Why is your job so important? Why is it so important to uh, keep uh, surveillance on what's going on in our state with birth defects? So one line that our CDC partners are always repeating is that birth defects are common, costly, and critical. And our Tennessee data supports these three points. Birth defects are extremely common in Tennessee. Overall, one in every 27 babies is born with a birth defect that's covered in our registry. So that translates to about one child in every elementary school class. And on the national level, the CDC estimates that a baby with a birth defect is born in the U.S. every four and a half minutes. And of course, birth defects are also incredibly costly, both for families and for our state. Our program estimates, based on published formulas, that between 2014 and 2018, over $52 million was spent in Tennessee on hospitalizations related to critical congenital heart defects alone. And nationally, total inpatient hospital costs related to birth defects exceed $2.6 billion each year. And birth defects are also highly critical. One in five infant deaths in Tennessee is caused by birth defects, and birth defects are the number one cause of infant death. And this matches up with the national trend. So for all of these reasons, tracking birth defects and analyzing data is important. It can help us understand how birth defect trends change over time and across different areas in Tennessee. And in turn, this information helps helps us understand potential causes of birth defects, which can lead to recommendations, policies, and services. And also, with timely data, we can help ensure that families who have a child with a birth defect are quickly connected to supportive services in order to promote the best outcome possible. That's great. That's certainly important information. That's a lot of stuff I didn't even know. One in 27? Wow. How does your surveillance system actually collect the data? This seems like a lot of data to collect. Tennessee's a long state. I mean, we've got, what, 7 million people that live in Tennessee and... I think it's something like 85,000 births a year. You probably know yeah, a whole lot yeah, better than I do. That. So how do you go about collecting this massive trove of data? Yeah, so Tinfoods collects data on children with major birth defects. And children are eligible to be included in the registry if their mother is a Tennessee resident at the time of the child's birth and if the child is diagnosed at some point during their first five years of life. So the birth defects registry includes 47 birth defects that are recommended by public health authorities for surveillance. And those 47 defects are in organ systems all over the body. So of that, um, of those 47 total conditions, with the enhanced surveillance initiative that Kate mentioned, we're really focusing in on 26 defects that are especially critical from a surveillance standpoint to collect data on. And a couple examples of those 26 include conditions that affect the central nervous system, like anencephaly, like Kate mentioned earlier, and spina bifida, cardiovascular conditions like hypoplastic left heart syndrome and tetralogy of Fallot, and chromosomal defects like trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. So how do you find these cases? How do they get actually reported to you, or you have to go out and be the detective and figure out what's going on at the hospitals? Yes. So we utilize a wide variety of data sources to identify cases. 
A big part of our focus right now actually is getting access to more timely data. In the past, we've largely been relying on data sources that are considerably delayed. Um, so for example, one of the data sources that we've been relying on is hospital discharge data, which includes patient data for all inpatient discharges and other selected patient visits from Tennessee hospitals. But right now, the most recent year of hospital discharge data that we have access to is 2021. So obviously, in the case of another public health emergency like Zika, which was found to be associated with birth defects, data from last year is not going to be helpful. We would want to know what's happening right now. So getting access to real-time data sources is important not only for providing timely referral to services, but is also a huge component of emergency preparedness. And um, we're working on getting access to data that's not only fast in terms of the amount of time that it takes to get from the facility or provider to us, but that also allows us to identify diagnoses as early as possible in the child's life. Some of our diagnoses can be detected prenatally, so whenever possible, we'd like to get those cases on our right radar prior to birth. So do you have any concerns about the accuracy of the data that you get? Yes, so we know that not all cases that we identify represent true diagnoses. For a lot of the data sources that we utilize, we rely on ICD-10-CM coding to find cases, which we know is not 100% accurate. So to address this, we take a couple steps. The first thing we do is case agreement between all the various data sources that we use so that we can see which cases have diagnoses that are supported by several different sources and which cases may only be popping up in one source. And then the most important step is that our excellent registered nurse consultant manually reviews the medical record of every single case that we identify to make sure that the diagnoses are legitimate. And this is a very time-consuming, careful process, but the payoff is that we can be totally confident that every case in our final data set for the Enhanced Surveillance Project represents a true diagnosis of a major birth defect and that any false positive cases are removed. So what exactly, what type of data variables are you looking at or getting reported to you? I'm curious. So we collect a wide variety of data fields for these cases. We have a long list of just demographic variables that we collect, which would be things like mother's age, mother's area of residence, race, ethnicity, and a bunch of others. And we also collect detailed information about the diagnoses, including when the diagnosis was first identified, um, whether that be prenatally, at birth, or sometime later on in the child's life. We also have special data that we collect for cases that are identified with critical congenital heart defects, or CCHDs. Um, Tennessee was actually one of eight states that was selected by the CDC to perform specialized surveillance for these cases. Um, so some of the extra fields that we collect for these cases include things like whether the infant received a postnatal echocardiogram, whether the infant was delivered at a hospital or at home, if they were delivered at home, how long it was before they were brought to a hospital, whether the infant was admitted to, to the NICU and some details about that NICU admission, and then we have several data fields related to the infant's pulse oximetry results. And we see a ton of potential applications and research questions that we can address using this data. For example, using the pulse oximetry data, we can identify cases with CCHDs that were not detected during the newborn screening process so that we can examine any trends there in terms of the infants that are being missed. So now you got me really interested. You're mentioning all this data that you have, all these, and of course, when you've got lots of data, you can ask all kinds of questions. You start to see trends after you've been doing this for a while. So you've got to give us a little bit of insight into what trends you're currently seeing. 
Yeah, of course. So fortunately, the most common birth defects that we see diagnosed in Tennessee infants are ones that are relatively treatable. Um, so the single most common condition of the 47 that's included in our registry is atrial septal defect. Um, for that defect alone, we see approximately 1,700 cases per year. Um, the next most common is hypospadias, that's about 440 cases per year, followed by ventricular septal defect, and that's about 400 cases per year. So by race and ethnicity, we see a lot of variety across the defects that we collect in terms of who is most impacted. Some conditions like atrioventricular septal defect are most common for infants who are born to non-Hispanic black mothers. Other conditions like anosia are most common for infants born to Hispanic mothers. And then other conditions like cleft lip and palate are most common for infants who are born to non-Hispanic white mothers. When we pull together all the conditions included in our registry, we see that infants who are born to non-Hispanic black mothers had the highest overall prevalence. We also see a link between indicators of socioeconomic status and risk of birth defects. For example, infants who are born to mothers on Medicaid have a higher prevalence of birth defects compared to infants born to mothers with private insurance. And likewise, infants born to mothers with less than a high school education or a high school diploma as their highest level of education have a higher prevalence than infants who are born to mothers with a college education. And this reflects trends that are seen for the U.S. overall. Uh, national studies have found that household socioeconomic status is consistently associated with increased risk of certain birth defects. Yeah, so you're getting a lot of good insight and information into what's going on in Tennessee. And just let me interpret a couple of those things for our audience. You mentioned like the top three things that you're seeing, which is ASD and VSD, which are two types of heart defects. Those are easily treatable, easily correctable heart defects. And then you also mentioned hypospadias being the second most common thing, mm -hmm. which is also an easily treatable. A lot of times it's even very, very mild. People may not recognize they have it for a while. A defect in sort of how a baby urinates. So just so our audience knows, if you're not familiar with those terms. So I'm curious too about this data. Are you seeing any trends or any differences based on where people live around the state? I have had the good fortune of living all over the state of Tennessee, from East Tennessee to Middle Tennessee to West Tennessee during my life. So I love all parts of our state. Which part that I've lived in has <laughs> has put me at greatest risk or put my wife at greatest risk for having a... Yes. So overall, including all of the 47 birth defects collected within our registry, we do see that the western part of Tennessee has the highest prevalence of babies that are born with birth defects. And um, actually, Shelby County, where Memphis is, which is a predominantly non-Hispanic black county, has the highest overall prevalence. And the surrounding rural counties in West Tennessee also come out at the top. Um, however, like I was just mentioning for the race-ethnicity comparison, we do see a lot of heterogeneity by specific defects. For example, oral facial clefts, which includes cleft lip and cleft palate, are most common in the Northeast region of Tennessee, which is predominantly non-Hispanic white. In fact, babies that are born in that northeast area of Tennessee were about 2.5 times as likely to be born with an oral facial cleft compared to babies in Shelby County, which actually has the lowest prevalence of oral facial clefts of all the regions in Tennessee. And um, one point to mention about this difference, the northeast region also has the, the highest statewide percentage of maternal smoking during pregnancy, which is a known risk factor for having a baby born with, a, with an oral facial cleft. Um, according to recent live birth data, nearly a quarter, about 23% of women in, in the Northeast region reported smoking during pregnancy. 
And you can compare that with about 13% for Tennessee overall and just 4% for Shelby County. And of course, oral facial clefts have complex etiology and risk factors that go far beyond just smoking. But that's just one example of how the prevalence of the defects that we monitor varies quite significantly across the state, as does the prevalence of known risk factors. Fantastic. So Aaron, I absolutely love this. You have given us such awesome insight into what's happening around our state and as this program continues. And I need to get y'all talking about this for a second. You have mentioned this multiple times. You, you got to partake in a grant from the Centers for Disease Control, an enhanced surveillance program. So as this data continues to develop, you're going to be sharing this with, with various other organizations. Kate, let me turn this to you real quick. Tell us exactly what the Enhanced Surveillance Program is and, and how, your, how 10 Bids was able to, to get this grant in order to participate in this project. Sure. So Enhanced Surveillance has a couple different components to it. One, it, like Aaron mentioned earlier, it's improving our data quality through faster data, data quality, accuracy. Like we are now like she mentioned about the verification piece. That's something that we're able to do. We have the bandwidth now to be able to do through this funding. Another piece that we're looking at is these, this enhanced critical congenital heart defect. That's something new. We're able to provide the CDC with these data variables around this specific piece. Also, looking at primary prevention, which I'll talk about in just a little bit. That's another key piece. How do you, how do you implement data-driven interventions to help prevent birth defects? How do you make the healthiest pregnancy possible based on what we're seeing in our data? Also, secondary prevention, how do you connect these moms as best as possible to the resources that are available? Another key piece with this is going to be an evaluation around these interventions, developing an evaluation, carrying an evaluation out, and then also developing manuscripts for scientific journals, platform presentations at scientific conferences, really trying to disseminate our findings and getting it out there so that people can learn from what we've been doing. So you're sharing with this with the CDC. Mm-hmm. The CDC is working with the other states who have received this grant. All these states that are contributing are putting all this information together. Yes. And then we're trying to figure out, hey, exactly what's happening in, in our patient population, our demographics that's causing these birth defects. Exactly. That's and- super important information. How long have you been working on this? How long have you been participating in this grant, in this project? This grant, we were awarded uh, in May of 2021. So we've really just kind of gotten our feet under us. We've had the good fortune to be able to hire Aaron on full-time. We have a nurse consultant who's absolutely fantastic to be able to help us with this case verification. So we've really, it's given us the bandwidth to be able to do the work that we need to do. We've been yeah. very, very But to fortunate. use the neonatology term, you're still in the infancy of this project. Exactly. You're, you're still, you're still exactly. growing, trying to trying We to are still better. growing. We're still growing. Yeah, no. The time frame of the grant is they've asked us to collect all cases from 2018, so it's retrospective, up to when it ends in 2025. So we've been playing catch-up, trying to get yeah. all of these past cases verified. And that's what our, our wonderful nurse consultant, Jenny Waldrop, has been working on furiously. Excellent. So let's, let's go back. And I know I opened with this question about a billboard and mm-hmm. you can have this message and you've got this wonderful message about making sure we, we plan our pregnancies, we do things to prepare to have healthy pregnancies. Talk about that a little bit more. I mean, if, if, if I'm listening to this and, 
and I'm thinking about having a baby, what do I need to be doing now to prepare for that, to give me the healthiest chance possible to, to have a baby? Yeah, I think, you know, as I said before, we're really working on getting this message out there about planning for your pregnancy and for men and women to be as healthy as possible before becoming pregnant. So a lot of a lot of the causes of birth defects are really still unknown. Birth defects is most likely just not from one factor, but rather kind of multiple factors working together. And we think these factors are most likely genetic, behavioral, and environmental. We also know that there are things called modifiable risk factors, and that means that things a person can change, that they can improve their chances of having a healthy pregnancy. And we know from our data that Aaron's put together for us is that babies who are born to moms who are obese prior to pregnancy are more likely to have a baby with a cardiovascular birth defect. So obviously achieving a healthy weight before you become pregnant is a great first step. We also know that having chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension before becoming pregnant is also a big risk factor for having a baby with a birth defect. So therefore, I mean, you want to present, prevent those conditions if possible, and if you do have them, try to control them as best as you can. Our data also tells us that infants born to moms who smoke heavily during pregnancy, and when we say heavily, we mean more than 10 cigarettes per day, we're twice as likely to have an oral facial cleft. Hmm. So obviously you want to avoid harmful substances, not just tobacco, but also alcohol and drugs. Um, And if you have an addiction to seek cessation support. Are there any specific drugs that you have linked more than others? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're always looking at opioids, uh, methamphetamines, street drugs. Those are kind of like what's the the major ones that are in our our list to, to avoid. Also, on that note, always be careful. Talk to your doctor about the prescriptions that you're on mm-hmm. just to make sure you're on the right path with if something needs to be switched up, always you know keep in good communication with with your with your doctors. Other things that we recommend in our program, as I mentioned earlier, planning your pregnancy, but also spacing your pregnancies at least eighteen months apart is really important. I'm sure everyone's heard this before, but it bears repeating getting adequate folic acid per day is really important and we we say 400 micrograms again being physically active always a good thing to do eating a healthy diet and like i mentioned earlier seeing your healthcare professional regularly speak about folic acid a little bit where could somebody get that in their diet Yes. So there's a lot of foods that are already fortified with folic acid. This was a big push, I'd say probably about 15, 20 years ago, making sure that 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 was in the regular diet. There's also obviously prenatal pills. That's a great source as well, but I think keeping a healthy diet. Excellent. So TDH is already doing a lot of great work addressing these risk factors, and we're really trying to partner with programs like family planning, tobacco cessation, chronic disease, to really help support their programs and elevate their messaging. Another initiative that we're working on is trying to identify disparities and gaps in preconception health, and then really working to figure out the best ways to address them. So we've done, we've started working on this this summer. We've had two fantastic interns who have been helping us out with this initiative. First, by analyzing key questions on the pregnancy risk assessment monitoring system. And that's something that is held annually. It's a CDC questionnaire that's given to mothers who have given birth recently. 
and analyzing those questions through a social determinants of health lens. And then also, secondly, by researching best practices and promising practices around preconception health interventions. And so we'll be using this preliminary data that our interns are pulling together for us to help us develop ways to bridge those gaps that we're finding. So this information will come out to the citizens of Tennessee through the Tennessee Department of Health, and they will be able to participate in in this program once it's complete. Yes, more, more to come on this. So it is in the so, infancy, as you said. <laughs> yeah, so everybody needs to stay tuned in because I can guarantee you TIPPC will be having a podcast on this once this program is fully developed. And, and this is awesome news, I think, for the citizens of Tennessee to, for this podcast so we can have healthy moms and healthy babies in, in Tennessee. Let's talk real quick, though, about families that, that are listening to this who have a child that has some type of birth defect. And again, remember, birth defects range from all different types. One of the great things about Tennessee's Department of Health, too, is that we already have systems and programs and supportive services in place to help these families and to help these babies. I want you to educate our audience about that, you know, what's available for people currently. Yes, there are some great supportive services for families out there, and I believe we'll be including that contact information for these for these groups in the notes. But a couple that we work with right now, so the Community Health Access and Navigation in Tennessee, or CHANT, it offers wraparound services, and under that CHANT umbrella is another program called Children's Special Services, or CSS, and that program works to provide coverage for comprehensive medical care and also other non-medical resources. Another program that's great is called Family Voices. It provides emotional and educational support to families and can also connect families to other community resources out there. And then, of course, the Tennessee Early Intervention System, TEIS, who I believe you've interviewed on this show previously, (laughs) is another great program that provides critical services for children with a disability and developmental delays. And our program is in the process of finalizing a a couple of public flyers that will highlight these supportive services that we just talked about and really trying to get the word out there about them to providers and also the public. One thing that we're also working on is revamping our referral process in order to coordinate with providers of these children that we're identifying and help to ensure that the families are connected to services. And if they need some assistance, we can help them connect and make those referrals. Great. Chant, CSS, Family Voices, TEIS. So all of this information is going to be in our show notes. So if you need to take advantage of these services that Tennessee offers, see our show notes. All the links and information are going to be there. As we wrap up, TenBids has a bright future ahead. (laughs) Y'all have got a lot of things that you're planning other activities that you're going to be working on. Give us some insight, in, and we talked about this a little bit already, but give us some more insight into, into your, your, your adolescent phase. You're going to sure. grow up from an infant, you're going to become a toddler, then you're going to become an adolescent, and this is going to be a great, great program. What, what all do you have planned? Sure. I mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but we are in the process of developing evaluations for all of these pieces that we're working on and then really trying to get our findings out there. So our findings will be developed into manuscripts for submission to journal articles. Another thing that's always going to be in the forefront of our mind as we do this work, we really want to make sure that we continue to apply a health equity lens to everything that we do. So somebody's listening to this and they're saying, 
This is great. I've got some of these skill sets. I could be a number cruncher that could help help them with this. I could be a nurse that could help look at some of these things. I've got some some skills. If somebody wants to participate, volunteer, help out, get a job with you, can they do that? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We are actually currently recruiting for our next cycle of the Birth Defects Registry Advisory Committee. Oh. So our advisory committee meets annually and we have, you know, of course, the legislatively mandated representation that you'd expect, you know, from the clinical areas like obstetrics and gynecology, pediatrics, genetics. But then, of course, we have the number crunchers, as you mentioned. So epidemiology and biostatistics. We also have a spot for hospital administrators. We also have representatives from state service agencies along with parents of children with birth defects, which is incredibly important, Mm. along with interested nonprofit organizations and also just members of the general public who are interested in what we do. Our overall goal is to have really good representation from around the state, you know, not only professional experience, but also bringing in that real life lived experience in this area is incredibly important. And this is critical, having this variation and representation to help us, you know, plan and inform and guide these initiatives that Aaron and I have talked about today. So I'll make sure that my contact information is included. If anybody's interested in applying, please contact me. Yeah, we'll put this in the show notes, too. As you heard, Kate just mentioned all the types of people that they're looking for. Please consider using your skills, using your gifts to participate in what 10 Bids is doing, because this is a great program. I'm super excited to have heard everything that you have said today and what this grant is doing and the surveillance that's taking place and what we're able going to what we're going to be able to figure out that we can do and intervene in and improve the quality of care for moms and babies in our state. This is super important work. There is certainly something I have forgotten to ask you that you would like to tell our audience or just tell everybody goodbye, whatever you think. What do you want to say as we, as we close out? Thanks so much for having us. This has been a lot of fun. Let's see, Aaron, can you think of anything? I I can't, I think you've covered everything. We, (laughs) Well, I enjoyed interviewing y'all too. This has been absolutely great. Hopefully our audience has has learned a lot. Uh, I know I certainly have. I'm, a, I'm an neonatologist. I deal with these things. But it's it's just wonderful hearing what our state is involved in and what we're doing and how all these different pieces of the puzzle fit together as we seek to, uh, to really do one thing, which again is to improve care for, for Tennessee citizens. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, again, this is uh, Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, Tennessee. And Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee, presented by TipQC. TipQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance for Innovation on Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you would like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org, that's T-I-P-Q-C and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.